Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I am so glad you're here. I empower leaders to delight their customers. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights, wisdom, and practical tips that you can use immediately. I'm excited to announce the Trusted Guide Roadmap Masterclass for CX leaders who struggle with executive buy-in and are ready to go beyond CX fundamentals. This masterclass gives you proven frameworks and it takes you through a step-by-step, four-step model that will move you past the frustration of not getting your work done. It's unique because it's live, interpersonal, hands-on, and we give you tools and templates to help you build your CX roadmap. To learn more, visit empoweredcx.com. The next masterclass starts on February 27th, so don't wait. Well, I am so excited to have my guest, Darren Hood, on the show today. Darren is a fellow faculty member at Michigan State University in the Masters of Science program uh, for customer experience management, and that is where we we met. Uh, He is a fellow podcaster, and uh, he is a user experience UX expert, and we're going to talk about UX today with Darren's help. Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. Uh, Excited about the session. Absolutely. So you're teaching people in the master's program all about UX. And these are people in the customer experience management uh, program. So I'm so glad that we have a course on that to round out people's, you know, knowledge uh, on that topic. But before we get into UX, could you share with the audience a little bit about your run up into the world of, of customer experience management in general, and then what you're doing now? Well, with regard to customer experience management, I think I'm a, I'm a bit of an outlier when it comes yeah. to UX because I've been practicing UX from a customer experience perspective since about 2013, 2014. Yeah. When I was first introduced to CX, I just absolutely fell in love with the fact that CX, I call it the bookends of experience mm-hmm. design because CX is is really coming into play when a person first enters into that important experience funnel and then all the way running into what we call UX, then past UX and back toward the end of the funnel that cycles people back into, or the end of the journey, I should say, 
back into the purchasing funnel. So when I came into knowledge of that, it really excited me. I, I really understood the logic of it. And I began to realize that UX is actually a subset of CX where we're, we're like cousins, we're, 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 we're or siblings, or however you want to put it, we're connected. Uh, people yeah. come up with a lot of different terms to describe that connection, but we're, we're all under that umbrella of experience design. UX is usually involved with where people have their hands on something or they're interacting with something, but customer experience is concerned with that much more. And, and I think it's, we're so close, we're so related, we're so dependent on each other that I eventually came up with, I don't think we talked about this before, there's an uh, a, an equation that I like to present to people sometimes when I'm talking mm. about experience design. And I say that CX plus UX equals BX. So what a company puts into their CX, what a company puts into their UX generates BX, which is a naturally generated perception of the brand and, and all that goodwill and whether or not somebody's going to be loyal. It's not just CX, it's everything. So if a company invests in CX, but they don't invest in UX, BX is going to suffer. If somebody invests in the other way around, vice versa, then the BX is still going to suffer. So I, I embrace that mindset and I always now do my UX work knowing that there's a CX factor that's related to it. And I try to play into that to support that. And sometimes I have the opportunity to work with CX professionals in my UX travel. And sometimes I don't, it's as some companies are on the bandwagon, some are not, but, but that's where my, my stance is with regard to CX today. I, I understand its importance and its necessity. Okay. And so for our, our listeners, um, and if you're in the world of customer experience management, you probably came through a number of different paths, right? A lot of different paths lead up to the top of the mountain, uh, but UX less common. Um, and so we, 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 as a, as a profession, we probably know less about that than, than many other aspects of, of CX. And maybe f people are familiar with voice of the customer and metrics and maybe even some financial stuff and a um, little, little bit, not a lot, but a little bit on change management. But mm -hmm. UX is also a science. It's a discipline. Yes. I, I wonder if we can get granular for a minute for those who are a little less familiar and help us with the definition, because when I think of user experience, okay, so it's sort of like I'm the class I'm teaching, as you know, is customer relationship management, and people automatically label that as like a CRM software application, like Salesforce. Yeah, <laughs> and that that is really very very small percentage of what we're teaching in the course. Mm -hmm. I imagine UX. So when I think of UX, I do think of people sitting in front of a computer screen going to buy something and checking out and making that experience easier. But then, but then part of me, if I step back and, and say like recently had um, not recently, but a few months ago, we had a woman on the, sh on the show who works for a company called Woom, W O O M. It's mm -hmm. based on the sound of a bicycle for children. And they, they took this idea of, of a bicycle and redesigned it to make it like lighter weight, um, easier to access, uh, more durable, um, and and they call it womb. And so they really looked at the way kids use bicycles and redesigned the thing mm -hmm. based on what I would call the user experience. So help help us understand when we say UX, what really do we mean by that? 
that is that that's a fantastic example that you just mm-hmm. that you just gave there, Mark. It's UX. You'll hear a lot of definitions out there. Okay. They will usually be stereotypical. Uh, I have to say this first. A lot of people think that UX is UI. They think that it has to do with how things look and feel. I can't tell you how many times I've experienced and other people have told me they've experienced coming into a meeting with stakeholders and they just say, we'll just make this look better. They think that that's all we do. That is actually a very small percentage of what we do, mm-hmm. an extremely small percentage of what we do. We're we're the beneath the skin people. If you look at a, the metaphor of the body, we take care of everything beneath the skin. The the visual designers take care of things at the presentation layer. What we see where Mark and I are looking at each other in this in this Zoom window, we see each other's presentation layer, if you will. We can't see what's beneath the surface. That's where UX lives, beneath the surface, the capillaries, the sinews, the tendons, the bones. That's what UX people do. So UX is thought to be this visual thing, but it actually, when you really look at it, it has to do with... Uh, as as in my course, we finally identified, I had an, an illustration that talks about what UX really is. And it really comprised of, at last count, we have 250 methods, methodologies, techniques, and deliverables, all of which are driven to accomplish one thing. And it is to find the sweet spot between business needs, user needs, and any constraints that we have to deal with in order to execute. So UX is really an umbrella term. It, it is not making things look good. It is, I'm going to use these different methods and techniques to make sure that we can find that sweet spot, picture a Venn diagram, mm. the spot between the user needs, the business needs, and the constraints, and, and we optimize things based on that perspective. We want things to be as easy as possible for the users, while at the same time driving as much of an advantage for the business as we can. And we use as many of those techniques and such as we can to accomplish that. So, so um, if I'm a business owner or a C-level person, um, I, you hit on a couple of them, but I want to get to kind of the benefits so people can jump into, okay, this is why I need this. So one of them is, um, you mentioned sort of the employee experience mm-hmm. of, of making their job easier, making it even fun, yep. um, and, uh, and doing that obviously by studying the processes and the outcomes desired. Um, but talk to us more about what other benefits can businesses gain from this. One of the biggest benefits that a company gains from opting into and understanding, that's part of it, user experience, and I'll start at the very top. There was a uh, an organization by the name of Design Management Institute. They did a study two different times. I believe the studies were, conduct- were conducted, if I remember correctly, three years apart. And the purpose of the study was to understand the the competitive advantage that was gained through being design-led, basically putting user experience, making that a key part of your business strategy. Hmm. found out that companies like Coca-Cola, Apple, Whirlpool, a whole host of others, these companies outperformed the competition in one of the reports outperform the competition according to Standard & Poor's by 228% mm. simply because they were design-led. Being design-led just gives a competitive advantage that 
simply cannot be mimicked. It cannot. There's nothing, nothing else that will touch it. The the reports that IBM and NASA conducted back in the early two early to mid two thousands found that for every dollar you invest in user experience, mind you, it needs to be done correctly. If people mm-hmm. have people in seats and they're paying lip service, they don't get the ROI. If they if they invest a dollar, one study said they would get up to $100 in return for every dollar invested. The other one said that the company could get up to $250 in return for every dollar invested. So this is, these are the types of languages that people in business understand. Uh, and, and so if you invest, it's going to pay off. Do you really want to be a top company in your in your field? Then invest in UX. But you can't just go through the motions. You have to bring in, this is, this is the opposite of what's happening for the most part today. You mm. invest in putting real UX people in charge of your operations who are hiring real UX people to do the work. And then make sure that we have a seat at the table so that we can be involved in decision-making and things of that nature, so we can drive what's called the UX maturity level. If the organization doesn't understand UX, if they don't value UX, if they commoditize UX, things of that nature, then the UX maturity level will be less, it won't be optimal, and then the ROI now is going to be shot. And what happens a lot of times is that when companies don't really upskill properly when it comes to UX, they're not going to see the ROI. Then they eventually come back and say, well, you know, we're not really getting value out of that. So we're just going to lay those people off. We're going to get rid of it. But really, they did it. <laughs> because mm. they, they didn't take the proper steps. And a lot of companies jumped on board with UX, but they just went through the motions and they never bothered to understand what UX really was and what it offers. So they just turned around and now you see it, it's a, there's a lot of layoffs in the UX world today. So I was going to ask you about that, Darren, about what you think some of the biggest mistakes are. What I heard you say, um, you keep using the word, do it right. Um, (laughs) I I imagine there, there's also, you mentioned the word educating, you know, educating the team members at educating the employees about what it is. Also, I heard you talk uh, indirectly about the importance of, of, of it being part of the culture. Yes, it has to be. No. It has to be. So, so what are the biggest mistakes that, that that prevent it from being implemented, do you think? Uh, the biggest mistakes, and, and this is not anybody's fault. It's just, it is what it is. Um, people get excited when they heard about the ROI. Prior to that, those ROI reports getting out, most of mm. the, we didn't even call it UX yet, but most of the UX roles were in creative agencies. And corporations would bring in the agencies to handle their UX work. So they didn't have to worry about the UX maturity level, and they didn't have to worry about making any decisions. They didn't have to worry about HR getting involved or any of that because the agency was doing it. When people said, you know, I want my piece of that pie. I want my piece of that for every dollar you invest. I want part of that. So then they just appointed somebody to do it. And that was the first mistake. So it, because they were hands off and then they appointed somebody and that person didn't know and didn't care. And then that person got other people involved and they didn't know and they didn't, didn't care. So there has to be a genuine involvement that comes into play. And if there's a genuine involvement and people take the time to execute, I mean, it's just standard business. You don't get involved with something and just go through the motions and that's going to play out well. It, it, it never works out if people don't, don't engage from a deliberate perspective focused on what, how can we achieve excellence in this involvement? They do it with everything else, but with the UX that just didn't happen. So 
So that's where companies have to sort of right the ship by getting the right people in place. They'll, the executives will never have as much time as we might like them to, to get involved, but they need to know enough to be able to check boxes and give approvals and things of that nature where it's confident and, and they can have a, a conscious a conscious element there that they they can account for what's going on and they don't have to turn around three years later, five years later, 10 years later with regret uh, because you can lay the proper foundation up front. And then other companies have done it. Other companies can do it too. Coca-Cola got mm. it done. Apple got it done. Other companies have gotten it done. Whirlpool got it done. So it can be done. And, and I just wish more companies would do that. And that's part of what I spend my time doing in the wild is trying to to address this. I'm actually speaking at a conference in October about how to triage UX and get us back on the right path. Hmm. Well, that's nice. I think there's some of those uh, common threads would be in, in, in the same uh, conference for CX as well. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you just talked about getting the ship right and, and putting things in, in, in motion the right way and, uh, getting it set up correctly, what would be some of the first steps that you think an organization should take to do CX, do UX right? One of the things that folks could do, I, I, I taught a masterclass for Interaction Design Foundation on the topic of managing personal UX maturity. And it, okay. Where do you stand? What do you know? What do you not know? It, it's almost like a, an exercise in emotional intelligence, but it's for UX because one of the one of the major factors associated with emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So anything that you do, if you're going to excel, you have to be self-aware. Otherwise, you're just going through the motions. You're you get a participation trophy, perhaps, uh, and and you move on. But if you want to really get it done right, I, I'm addicted. I want to be in the top echelon of whatever I touch. So I want to be in that 200 outperforming by 228 percent. I want to be with those people. So that means that if you want to be there, which I think a lot of people, when you talk to them, everybody wants to be there, at least when they hear the concept. The question is, will they opt in? So you need to understand what you know. That's part of what I talk about in that workshop. What do you know? What do you not know? Make it a point. Identify the things that you do know. Establish a strategy to maintain that path. Look at the things that you don't know whether it's something you don't know very, very well, or you don't know at all, you're going to have to spend time deliberately engaging to, to level up. And when more people start doing that on an individual basis and on the organizational level, now we're talking about some progress and everybody benefits. It's funny how we can do something and the entire business world would benefit. If, if everybody would learn, for example, that UX is not UI, that would that would solve a lot of problems right now. <laughs> mm. We all woke up in the morning and everybody got it. That's a lot of problems that would be eradicated. So of course that's not going to happen. So we have to do it by addressing it, and we one person at a time we address it and we try to educate people and help them to understand. So education is a big part of it. Commitment to that education is another part, and then the willingness to and having the discipline to maintain based on what we learned that that takes us a long way. Can you uh can you share an illustration for us of of an example of a UX improvement and I don't mean to put you on the spot here oh, um, but but where you took something and and just 
really improve the the user experience for a, a company? Oh, yeah. Uh, the first example that comes to mind, so I'll run with it. Uh, yeah. I was doing work for, and I'm going to call a name out on this one, uh, if that's okay. Is it okay to yeah. call out a company name? I was working for Rocket Mortgage at the time. It was called Quicken Loans. And of course, a lot of people think that's a mortgage company. It's actually a technology company. And there's at least, when I was there, there was just under 105 companies under that umbrella. One of them mm. was Fathead. And I think a lot of people know who Fathead is, where you get mm. a poster of your favorite athletes or send in a picture of somebody in your family and create a cutout and then throw it up on a wall. And they, 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 this is <laughs> what they're known for. This is what they do. And so I was called into Fathead because... You can either buy and hey, I mean, go Lions. It's it's Lions time right now for us here in the mm. Detroit area. So you could get a picture of Jared Goff and put it up on your wall, or or uh, Sam Laporte and put it up on your wall. Or as mentioned, you could take a picture of a family member that you're trying to honor because maybe you've got a a person who is uh, an older person and you're celebrating their 90th birthday. So you get a picture of them, you put them up on the wall, and we're having this great thing. So we send this picture in to. Uh, or or you you go to the fathead site, I should say, and you're supposed to upload the picture that you want for this custom fathead uh, decal. And so you go to upload it. This is what was happening. And the process was just ghastly. It was not intuitive. People didn't know where they were in the process. They weren't getting feedback. My memory serves me correctly. They weren't getting feedback when they were going through certain steps. And so people would get to a certain point and there's something in, in the world of UX that we call the annoyance threshold. People would reach the annoyance threshold. I know a lot of people can relate to that. Usually I, I know my, my <laughs> wife sometimes gets that with me. <laughs> and, and so fortunately she, apparently she doesn't, you didn't say X. So she didn't uh, get to the point where she, she was done. People were getting right. the annoyance threshold and then they were abandoning the process and the, the volume of people that were abandoning the process was off the charts. Enter, oh enter Darren. I was dispatched to go and just walk across the street. They were across the street there, downtown. Have them give me a complete download of what was going on. Because when you do UX, the first thing you have to do is understand the design problem or the task or the goals. You get the, all of the requirements first and got a full download. Give me all the information that's going on with this. And if you if you can show it to me, show it to me. Help me to understand current state. So we understood what the current state was. And a lot of times people in my position, they would wanna go out and then do some research. But it turned out that in this particular case, it was blatantly obvious to me because I use something that we call heuristics. And heuristics are proven principles, best practices, common conventions, things that we already know work before we even do any research. And a lot of times it's said that you can find up to 90% of what's wrong with any design just by applying heuristics. Hmm. And But you can never, it, it never finds everything. So there's always a gap and you can do research to find out the same. Well, I was able to tell because of my experience and because of my knowledge, and I really love heuristics, and I know how much it can save you, how much it can save the company. Who who wanted to wait five weeks to find out? We, we already have all this abandonment and the, the profit from this from this aspect of the site is just, it, it's, it's nose diving. We need to get this done. I was able to fix this, Mark, just through doing a heuristic analysis. And then going back, walking them through my heuristic analysis, and then giving recommendations because my heuristic analysis consisted of findings, recommendations, and then I included examples. This is what it would look like 
if you were to implement my recommendations. This is actually how everything would be resolved. If you would, I think that if we just make these changes, I believe you're going to be in good shape. And it was so easy. This happened in two days, two, three days. I came back with these recommendations. So I saved them a ton of money. And when they implemented it, it worked. And the numbers started to skyrocket. I mean, it spiked. Hmm. So we, we were able to fix this problem, which to me came across as low-hanging fruit. We were able to fix this low-hanging fruit issue very simply, very easily, just by way of heuristic analysis. Something that a lot of folks don't know about and, and don't use today. So I make sure to teach it in my class. I expose the first thing I expose my class to at Michigan State is heuristic analysis, make sure that they know. So that's a big example for me. It was huge, a huge win. And uh, everybody, uh, we just went and we celebrated. We were good to go. Now, Darren, do you, are you the one that actually makes the changes uh, to the system or is it there people and you kind of lay out the plan? I'd say no asterisk. Usually the hmm. UX person on average is going to be the person who is going to provide the recommendations and the documentation, the hmm. reference points. So somebody will know what to do and know exactly what to do, but we hand it off to someone else usually. Okay. If there's somebody in a startup, yeah, you might have to take off one hat, put on another one. They might have to, but the standard mode of operation is that somebody else is going to is going to take care of doing the actual work. Okay, got it. All right, so I have one more question because the world keeps changing, <laughs> and um, and the world of generative AI is 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 here, and we've got things like Second World and um games we didn't even talk about the whole gaming industry and and you and ux and um but 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 tell me about what's next what do you see as next in the world of ux to me it is there's there's a certain part of ux that's always going to be status quo and i think a lot of people who are in ux and are interested in ux uh if they haven't been in ux for a long time if they have they already know what i'm about to say if, mm. if they're if they're not then they might be a little surprised by what I'm about to say. But because of this status quo component, which is, it, and that resides where the fundamentals of the discipline are, such as heuristics, a lot of people are not, not only are a lot of people in UX today not well-grounded in fundamentals, but some people literally get hostile if you try to present and propose that they learn more about the fundamentals. They, they will get hostile with you. Um, but that's where, if you're grounded in the fundamentals, because the discipline, if you know the fundamentals, is very pervasive, you can move from website to interactive TV, from interactive TV to email, from email to a uh, a cart rolling around in the in auto repair bay, from there to, you just go anywhere because UX principles, when you know them, are applicable to anything. My mm. room that I'm sitting in right now is UXed. I UXed this room. Uh, it doesn't help that I'm addicted to ISO principles from a project I worked on back in the day. I brought that stuff home, but I want to UX everything. I want everything to be as efficient and easy to use as possible. I want things to be intuitive. I want things to be simple. I want to facilitate my ability to excel in everything I do. And in order to do that, everything around me needs to be needs to be optimal. So that's what we do. And, and when we ground ourselves as UX professionals in fundamentals, we afford ourselves with the ability to do that. So that's it. When, when the iPhone came on the scene, it floored a bunch of us. But 
because back then it was very common for everybody to be grounded in fundamentals. We just shifted and we started designing for apps. And then we started designing for the a uh, couple of years later, we're, we're designing for the, the, the responsive experiences. And we just, and I established best practices at, at two agencies associated with, with mobile design, but you just shifted. It was, we were already doing it. So you shifted. So now here comes AI fast forward to 2024. Here comes AI it's something that needs to be vetted out. And there's some fantastic articles. And I share them all the time on LinkedIn. And I'll always say, stay grounded. Here's a great article from MIT. I told you a year ago, it wasn't going to take all of our jobs. MIT said it's not. Here's the data. You didn't want to listen hmm. to me. Maybe you're listening to MIT. Here's another one about AI. 86% of what they're, of what they're, of producing through AI is incorrect. You need to take it with a grain of salt. I told you a year ago, but you didn't listen to me. So here's a report from somebody else. So it's, we need to, I think AI is going to be great one day. It will never replace the true professional who knows their stuff because they're simple. We UX is a, is an infinite science that has finite science embedded into it. Hmm. So when I give recommendations, actually a lot of times people don't get it. It's not until we test my recommendations and get data that we transition from infinite science to finite science. And when they see the results, now they get it. But they don't usually understand, especially if you're very intuitive and the more experienced UXers are more intuitive. So we 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 see things that other people just don't see. So until we do testing, they don't they don't they don't get it. So yeah. so and AI is the same way. There there's certain things because I can pivot. AI can't. It's, it's AI is grounded in in finite science, and and there's too much of UX that's infinite science that has to pivot on a dime uh, that AI simply cannot do, and and it will never be able to empathize, which is at the core of what we do. So if we if a person grounds himself in the fundamentals, and just know that there will always be another technology, there will always be emerging technologies. When it comes up, make it a point. There's a free course at IBM on AI. Go and take the free course at, at IBM on AI. St keep up with it, run parallel with it, but you don't have to, I don't have to jump on the train. I'm going to run yeah. parallel to it so I can know enough. And when the time comes that I need to pivot because of AI, I'll be in a position to do it. So I'm not going to reject it, but I'm also not going to jump on board and put on the rose colored glasses and take my critical thinking hat off. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to um, try to put a, big bow around what, what we were just talking about, uh, what you just shared. And, and before I, I ask you one last question, but before I get there, um, so I see so many parallels here. Uh, you, you mentioned UX is a subset of CX. And um, for those, as I think about, as we're, I'm thinking out loud right now, but I'm thinking about uh, the life cycle of a customer and, and really the way that we as CX professionals begin to approach our and our our roles and um and then where ux is is coming in to play a part in that whole customer experience journey um i, I think about number one is i mean depending on how far you want to go back but in the cycle but somehow understanding what the customers are experiencing now or what the desired experience is. So you have to understand yeah. what it is and then how are they feeling about it? Like, what do they think about it? Is good, bad, and different? You know, what do they like? What do they not like? What do they wish? 
and then once you once you figure that out then you then you then you say okay these are some insights i i have all this in data to analyze right if you do if you're doing it right you're collecting data of different kinds and that may be some place where ai can help out get get more data quicker and cheaper and then you've then you've got to turn those insights into actionable insights yep to make change and some of those changes require experienced design yeah. where you need to either re redesign the experience and that's typically not a place where a sort of your uh, general cx generalist has an aptitude yep got to bring in some experts to help with that part we got to change this to make it better for the customer well said yeah yeah and and then right and then we implement it mm -hmm. and then we measure again yes and see if the customers like it but that whole experience design piece that ux piece is something that most cx unless you came from that world you don't you don't have experience so we're sort of like generalists yeah i i am you're not but I, I in that regard i'm a generalist and i need i would need someone like to bring someone like you in mm -hmm. to help make the change and or at least advise serve as a trusted advisor for the change consultant yeah consultant yeah yeah with so love consulting <laughs> was that was that a reasonable that's ribbon is. yeah that's very well that's very well stated it's it's perfectly said that that's the perfect world that would be the happy path and that's where you have an overlap between CX and UX and how we yeah. help one another. I need to empathize with what you're trying to do, lend support, get in, get out, provide that support so that you can validate what's going on. And, and what you're talking about in my world will be called mental models. The more we need to do, especially if we're benchmarking, benchmarking is so valuable. I don't want to wait for a project to find out what my users are thinking. I want to be ahead of the game. So the more proactive we are, the more we can get done. And, and it helps you to be in control of managing the overall experience instead of instead of being an order taker, which you extras are not. We don't want to do something because the hippo, the highest paid person in the organization, decided something. We want to be a, a someone who's already taking the pulse and knows it and be able to provide those types of insights without them telling us what to do. That that's what that's where if we're operating at our peak efficiency, that's where we need to be. So yeah, will that will we need their input on that sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. But we need to at least in some way, form, or fashion, between CX and UX, be looking at a point of concern, identifying something. We should be the doctors in that situation. We are and and we are keeping up on vitals. We're we're like the the proverbial wearable, if you will. You know, I've got on mm. I've got on three wearables right now. I'm big on data. So I want so we can be this ring that's giving you data. We could be the Apple Watch that's bringing you data. We could be this whoop band that I have on that's bringing in data. I actually have four. I'm not wearing the fourth one because I'm getting all of this data. I actually do have one of the fourth one. I forgot. I won't talk about that. But we we're the people that are bringing this data in. And then some something comes up. I love situation where someone mentions that they're concerned about or wondering about something. And right there at the point of inquiry, the point of curiosity, the experienced design professional, be it a CX or a UXer, can stand up and say, you know what? I have just the thing. You might be interested. And, 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 and wow, 
how that impacts them. Because I've heard that CX has perception issues just like UX does. Oh, yeah. And so, but if we can be the leaders that we are, it's in our core. Yeah. And if we can be that and be more proactive and take our discipline, take that bull by the horns and drive it, it's waiting to be driven. And and frankly, too many of us are too responsive. So because we're responding to everything, we're not staying ahead. We're not seen as leaders. I think we're leaders. We should be leaders. I've done a talk on that before. Everything that we yield is leadership oriented. And so, but, but if we wait on everybody else to see it, then, then we're, we're waiting to be valued and we're delaying our own incubation, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, just uh, thank you so much for providing some, shining some light on what UX is and what it isn't, what some of the mistakes are, what are some of the obstacles, um, best first steps and how the intersection, uh, occurs between CX and UX. One last question for you. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? Um, the, <laughs> this might be funny. Uh, stay in school, dude. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you not stay in school finished finish the degree yeah no i didn't i uh i didn't and, and i i developed the habit of leaving school for 10 years at a time and now i've been in school since 2003 <laughs> i had two masters and i'm a doctoral candidate now i i should have finished as a long time ago you're just stretching it out <laughs> <laughs> so it has nothing to do with what we talked about, but that's just, that's what I would tell my, without getting into the extra personal stuff, that's what I would tell my 20-year-old my selves, because that's when I left. I was 20. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. And um, I just, I learned so much for you. It's from you. It's an honor and privilege to be on the same team as you at, in the faculty at MSU. Same here. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thanks for the opportunity to share. I love sharing as you know, so. Yeah. Hey, hey, Darren, if people want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way? Uh, most people that want to connect with me, they do so on LinkedIn. I'm very loud okay. on social media. According to an app called Metricool, I have a social media reach of over 15 million people. So my stuff gets out there. It covers some ground. But most wow. people interact with me on on LinkedIn. Uh, I've got a blog on uh, Medium. Uh, you can find it at uxuncensored.medium.com. Uh, I have a channel on uh, YouTube and my podcast. I don't know if you knew this. We didn't talk about this. My podcast automatically publishes to YouTube every week. So there are some people who partake of my of my podcast on YouTube, and that, that data doesn't come in through our CX of them radio stuff. Um, I also have my, so the YouTube channel, I have a UX Uncensored YouTube channel, uh, the podcast, the World of UX with Darren Hood podcast. World of UX. Yeah, World of UX. Got it. There's a website if you want to like quick and dirty, get access to what's going on with the podcast. And I'm planning on expanding that site in the not too distant future and provide some categories, categorization, ah, categorizations. I got to get that out uh, so that uh, different mm-hmm. interviews that I've done, series, things like that, uh, it'll be easier to go through and actually partake of the of the episodes right there on the site. It's worldoux.com. Uh, so if you go there, also, if you just... I don't know where I want to hear the podcast. If you go to that page, there's 10 different places you can get to the podcast. So you can just pick one and go. So, but that's where you can find me out in the wild. And we'll have, we'll have that, some of those links on the show notes as well. Sure thing. 
Darren, thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you again. Yeah, had a blast. Well, thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers podcast. I want to ask you to do two things. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on this show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.